everyone welcome to another weekly episode of limitless podcast a place where we bring together global thought leaders in sales and marketing uh, my name is sanjana and i'm the host of limitless podcast today we are speaking with mike hook he's the director of sales at childcare crm and also associate chapter head of revenue collective uh, so mike is a leading voice on sales uh, on linkedin right now and he's also the linkedin sales star of 2020 Uh, so hey mike welcome to limitless hey how you doing thanks for having me so glad to have you here and thank you so much for joining in today yeah you're welcome i'm excited to be here all right uh so for those of you uh looking to make a career in sales or you know prepare yourself to be a better sales person and you know win in sales uh, do not worry we will cover that in this episode um So Mike can we get started with just a brief introduction about your uh, career journey and how did you venture into sales Yeah so my career journey so I graduated from college back in 2012 and the market still hadn't quite fully recovered from 2008 so getting a job was really hard thought I wanted to get into marketing and advertising uh thought I wanted to get into the music industry because I love music uh and so i didn't really know where i was going to go but i was so eager and ready to start working that i was reaching out to everybody i knew and i'll never forget my now ceo calls me uh summer of 2012 i was back in cleveland ohio and i was at the parking lot of a gas station uh car wash called waterworks and he's telling me about this company called paylease which is where i ended up getting started and they were an online payment processing company for HOAs and rent and i was just thinking about how this company had to be a scam like it didn't sound real to me they were taking payments online i'd never done it before uh but it was going to get me to san diego and it was a job in customer success it wasn't even a sales job but i knew that i could get my foot in the door and i knew i wanted to be in sales at this company um so i did i interviewed for customer or uh for support it was a customer support job answering phones taking payments uh and i got the job and i took it within a couple months i was cold calling and just dialing for dollars um as they used to say to set up appointments for the sales team and and then i had some success there and shortly after was uh promoted in within uh, about 4 or 5 months into full cycle sales god it's so you've been into customer success support and sales like that is interesting Uh, thank you for sharing that with us um all right so uh, let me jump straight into the questions that i want to ask you today uh and uh, you know let me start with sales skills first so uh what skills and traits do you think will make a good seller so we've talked a lot about hiring and what i'm hiring you know i think these traits that you look for are one are you hard working like sales is just a hard job so i want to know somebody is going to be hard working they're ready to come to the job every day they're present and hard working doesn't just mean they're doing a lot of motion but it means that they're doing a lot of motion the right way they're on the right activities they're coming with the right attitude um so that trait hard working it's not just about hustle it's not which is a word we hear a lot it's not just about making sure your activities high but it's about all the other little things that come into being hard working you know are you coming in with the right attitude are you know you making the right adjustments are you willing to 
you know, some days go above and beyond because in sales, sometimes that's required of you. Uh, the other big ones is, you know, being coachable. People talk about that all the time and being coachable is the ability to take feedback and implement that feedback. So it's not just about, Oh yeah, I'm great uh, at hearing things, but it's about hearing those things, taking them at face value, realizing this isn't an insult. Uh, it's not against me. It's a growth moment here and then implementing that. So the other big ones uh, for me that I always look for in hiring is someone who's curious. The reason we look for curious people is because we want sellers who can ask good questions and we want sellers who can listen. So somebody who can really get to know the buyer, get to understand them very well, get to know their problems. And these traits too, it doesn't matter what you're selling into. It doesn't matter if you're highly transactional SMB sales or really long multi-threaded enterprise sales. These traits are unanimous across the board. And all the traits I'll talk about here as we get into what I think um, breaks out a good seller, they're all across any type of sales. So they're very nondescript. And they're also skills that you, you know, need across any type of, of company. So it doesn't matter how big the company is, you need these um, so the other thing, and this came up in Thursday night sales last night, uh, is being good on the phone. Right now, you have to be good on the phone. People are not using the phone enough, I don't believe. Uh, we are, even before COVID, but especially due to COVID, working in a more remote setting. So being able to be confident on the phone, have good tonality, uh, understand when it's time to speak, when it's time to pause, some of those soft skills on the phone, understanding the scenario when sometimes you can't see somebody in their body language face-to-face -face, um, is really important. So those are my four buckets when I'm actually hiring for people that I think are really, really critical. Like those are, you have to have those just to get your foot in the door. The other traits that I like for a seller, I want somebody who's competitive. Um, and when you talk about being competitive, I think it's really important to call out. This isn't someone who's like extrovertedly competitive. This isn't somebody, and I am, I am like that, you know, like I want to win and I will kill myself to do it, but you don't have to be that to be successfully competitive because I know a lot of introverts in sales out there who are insanely competitive with themselves. Okay. And that's what it means to be competitive. Be competitive with yourself. You need to want to win. You need to want to improve. You need to want to get better. So I think being competitive, uh, it can come in multiple ways. So I don't want anyone who's listening to this to be like, oh, well, I'm not an ex-athlete or, oh, I don't have this go, 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 go mentality where I'm super type A and charged up. Like, that's not what I mean by competitive. What I mean is that you need to have that fire to improve, you need to have that fire to win. And sometimes you're fighting against yourself. Sometimes you're beating yourself. I think you gotta have a really good perspective. So when we talk about sellers, there is a lot of commotion. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot of buzz. So you need to understand and focus on the tasks that move the needle. So in that regard for sellers, it's, are we doing the right activities and meeting our buyers where they're at? So if I'm selling and I'm selling to someone who is not very receptive to email, if I'm sending email after email after email and it's not picking up, well, maybe we need to go to the phone. 
or if I'm selling into a vertical uh, that right now is heavily affected. Like if I was selling into the travel vertical right now, but I also had communications on the other side and I was spending time on travel, that would be a missed opportunity. And that's just a really relevant one right now. A lot of times it's much more minute and harder to see. Uh, but I think having perspective on doing the right things in the right area is a really great skill for a seller um, and being able to focus as well. So again, there is a lot of commotion in the world. Social media demands your attention. Uh, your coworkers demand your attention, your family, your spouses, uh, that little voice in the back of your head telling you to, you know, go, oh, we want to go do this over here. All of these things demand your attention. So being able to focus um, and pull back from that will be big. And then the last uh, couple here I have for you, I know there's kind of a lot, uh, but being able to connect the dots. So as a seller, it's important to be able to building off that curious uh, trait. So now you're curious, you actually can go through, ask the right questions, understand your buyers, feel their pain. Well, part of being curious, also understanding where they want to go. So now connecting the dots, being able to take the issues they're having, pair your solution with where they need to go. Sometimes this is very cut and dry. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit harder to see. That goes back to the type of sale you're in. So if you're an enterprise, yeah, connecting those dots is going to be a big, big process. It's going to take a long time. And that's why those sales take a long time. If it's transactional, it might be something as simple as like in my world in childcare CRM, we can't manage our flow of inbound inquiries. We're doing everything by pen and paper and we're missing our follow-up with parents. And every time we miss that follow-up, it means that we're losing money. It means that we're hurting our reputation and it doesn't feel very good. So we need help getting organized. Okay. Well, we'll digitize that for you. We've got a database and we can help you with task management and automation. So it's the severity of that's really, it's, it's a big range, but being able to connect those dots uh, is really big. And then tech is now table stakes. You need to be able to come in, learn Zoom, learn outreach, learn sales loss or HubSpot or Salesforce. You have to understand not only what these you know, technology systems, these sales enablements or CRMs, what they are and what they mean to your job, but how to use them, how to read them and the intricacies of uh, leveraging those in order to make yourself scalable um, as an individual. Last two I've got for you is writing. Okay. Writing helps with speaking right. and we are digital more so than ever now. So I think you got to be able to write very well, write coherently and write concisely. So I'll kind of bundle in there, making your point quickly and then time management. So it kind of goes back to the focus side of things. Uh, everything is demanding. So being able to manage your time effectively is going to be a big one for any seller out there. So I know that's a lot of, of things when you, when you break it down, uh, but all of them are required to really go out in my mind and be successful. You don't necessarily need all of them. It's not have all these or you won't be successful uh, but every successful seller that I've seen and interacted with has all of these traits um, and, and so, they've leveraged them. All right. So I'm just curious, like, how do you identify if the person you hire, you know, has all these uh, qualities? Like, how do you identify? So I'll kind of call out the ones that are hard to identify. Yes. Uh, tech proficiency is really hard to identify. 
anybody can say they have it, but until they hop on the job, you won't know. And there are some people who have never used outreach before. There are some people who have never used a CRM before. So there's a chance that when you're hiring, you might not have that. And so you have to know that right off the bat. Focus is another really hard one because sure, you can see someone who's a, a high achiever, but you never know what their high achievement was. Were they just flooded with inbound leads? So their close was really good. Were they in a really rapidly growing market where, uh, you know, it didn't take much to close deals um, and, or, you know, they just, it was easy. You know, there are some sales jobs that are easy. Um, so focus is a really hard one to do. The other thing is perspective. That's also hard. Now, generally high achievers have that, but it's hard to generalize and you get yourself into trouble when you generalize things. So those are difficult. I think when you think about people who are curious, one of the things I always like to judge is how many questions do you ask me? Right, right. Like if you're interviewing me for a job and you or I'm sorry, if I'm interviewing you for a job and you don't ask me questions, if you don't turn it into a mini interview for yourself, you've already lost. Like if you ask me no questions for, for anybody out here, if you interview with me ever, if you don't ask me questions, I will not hire you. Right. Because it shows that you don't care enough about the job. You're not invested uh, and you don't own it partially because really you should be betting out a company to see if you are a good fit there, not just getting a paycheck. Um, coachability. So during an interview, you can do some role plays. A lot of times I like to have people pitch me. Uh, and sometimes in that pitch, I'll give little tweaks and have them repitch. So that's one way to test out coachability in the interview process. I have some other sales leaders that I know that I really respect a lot. They actually send out a role play scenario ahead of time. So they'll give the seller the parameters, the interviewee, the parameters, they'll have them come in and pitch them. That's a great way to actually test for the pitch. And also, if you do give some feedback off that and have them redo it, that's another really good way to test coachability. I like to ask people how they learn and how they've implemented what they've learned. So one of the questions uh, that, that I've asked in an interview is, um, I'll ask them about books they're reading, I'll ask them about self-improvement, I'll ask them about how they currently take coaching from their existing manager. And when they flush that out, I'll ask them then, how do they learn and how do they implement what they've been taught and what impact has that had on them? So I like to understand how they not only take feedback, but then how they implement that feedback and how it has helped to have either a positive, negative, or neutral outcome on them. So how they view it and hardworking. Again, that's just such a tough one to gauge. So some yeah. of these, and this is, I think, why hiring so hard. Uh, it's why we've got a scorecard that we gauge against. And, and there are some people who are better at hiring than others. I will put myself, uh, you know, I think I do a decent job of it. You can always improve on it, but those are some of the ways that I help uh, to vet that out. One of the other questions that I always ask everybody is to tell me the most difficult day they've had on the job. Okay. I wanna know what they view as the hardest day because if you've been in sales for a long time or if you've been in, if you, even if you haven't been in sales for a long time and you're an SDR, sales is a role of rejection. Like you're signing up to get told no more than you're gonna to get told yes. So the opportunity for bad days and the opportunity for really bad days is really high and that weighs on you. So I wanna understand what is your worst day? What do you view as your worst day? And a lot of people get in this trap and it's totally human nature to say, okay, 
well, I had this really bad day, but here's how I overcame it. Like, I just want to know about your bad day. Some people are better at telling me that than others because my follow-up question is always, how did you respond? Um, which is always very illuminating for me too, because that kind of goes into the, well, what is your mindset as a seller? How are you able to strip away a bad day from you as a person? Because it's hard to do when you're so invested in a job to not take things personally, but it's really important to keep perspective um, and allow you to continue to do a job that's, uh, that's difficult. And then for writing, I look at their resume. I look at if they're following up with me after the email, are you sending me a follow-up email? If you're not, you should be. Um, so, so that's another way that I kind of will see for that. And then uh, connecting the dots. I like to understand people's sales process, what they've done from a sales process standpoint uh, and how they go through that. A lot of times when we're getting into the sales process, things, uh, how they prospect, the value prop shows up. So I like to see how they go through their sales process and just talk about tying the pain points back into their demo and into closing, uh, which could give me some good insight. It's not foolproof uh, because there's a lot of people who can go look up sales process and what I want to hear. But when you start combining all of these things together, it paints a pretty good picture. And do you also look at uh, uh, how active they are on social media, like uh, uh, their personal brand? I look for it. I don't care about it. Okay. So just as part of me vetting you, I'll always look because if there's information out there on you, I want to know it and I'm going to bring it up and I want to know how you think. So if I can see how you think, if I can see what you believe in, uh, yeah, you better believe it's out there. And if it's good, good on you. If it's not there, there's no knocks, but if it's bad, well then, you know, we'll, we'll ask some questions about it and I'll try to understand your thought process. So it's not a no, like I'm not going to disqualify you for it, but I just want to understand the thinking behind it. Got it, got it. And uh, the, the list of skills that you mentioned, like, can you learn these skills? Uh, how can you learn these skills if you don't have them? So let's talk about the ones that I, that I think are really tough to learn. Being hardworking is a tough skill to learn. It just is. You have to find some type of internal motivation for yourself. You have to understand, you know, to grow work ethic, you have to have a motivation behind why you want to do something. You know, I think we talk a lot about necessity being a breeding ground. Um, I can think of a story, you know, so my dad owns a car dealership. And when he started out at the car dealership back in 1990, uh, he's told me some stories about it. And it was me, I was just born. Uh, my mom and him moved out to Yuma, Arizona. And he had to be successful. His family was on the line. His well-being was on the line. He had his motivation. My grandfather uh, immigrated from Iran, and he was a doctor over there. And what they told him is the number one student in the class gets to go to America and study. Okay. Well, everybody wanted to do that. So their motivation was there, and they pushed themselves. I'm here uh, in the US, so he was successful, he did that. Those are two pretty great examples of your circumstances and what you want driving it, but you know, everybody's got something internally. Is it fame, is it power, is it money, is it sex? These are the things that motivate us. So whatever that is, that's what's gonna drive hardworking. It is an internal thing. Um, 
So that's number one, how I think hardworking. And that's really hard. I think focus can focus be learned. I do think focus can be learned. I think it's very easy to put your cell phone in another room and then you don't have distractions. So focus is learned by eliminating distraction. Yeah, right. There was a story in the book, Atomic Habits. And I was just uh, reading and talking about someone this the other day. And in this book, they were talking about someone who was cold calling. He was building the habit of making 120 calls a day. It is a relentless job. And the way that he did it is he had two jars. This gentleman, he had two jars on his desk. One was filled with 120 paper clips and the other was empty. And at the start of every day, every call, he would move a paper clip from one to the other. He built his focus. He built these habits by actually manually moving something from one to the next. And he knew he had to do that. So he had the motivation behind him which then drove the focus. So you see some of this stuff builds on top of itself um, that you need to have. Because if you don't have a reason why, like if you're not motivated, the focus is never going to come in a job you don't want. So some of the other ones uh, here, I think that we can talk about time management. How do you build that skill? That kind of ties into the being hardworking, the focus, like do time blocking on your schedule and stick to it. I think that will build time management Um, that's kind of an easy one. The tough ones I think here are learning how to be coachable, you know, being coachable and implementing stuff, it it comes down to your willingness to improve. And I think if you're not open and I think if you're guarded, then it's very hard to be coachable and it's very hard to improve. I, I think And this is a sensitive one too, because people, you know, feedback is sensitive. Hearing something that's not true about yourself is sensitive. Um, It's uncomfortable. So I think understanding, I, you know, removing your ego from the equation and saying, I want to get better is a great way to work on being coachable. It's all about a means to an end um, and understanding that there's a journey that you're on. So really leaning into the journey uh, of getting to where you need to go and it being an iterative process. Like it's not one and done. It keeps going. Um, How to be curious is how to learn to ask great questions. So one of the things in sales I like to say, so how do I become a curious seller? How do I, how do I do this? Get with somebody on the team. Who's really good at asking questions. Get with somebody on the team. Who's really good at listening Okay. and get with your manager and understand here's our value prop as a company. And then go through, here's the questions we asked to uncover this pain point. Here's the questions we asked to do this. Here's these use cases. And here's what we're looking to find. So actually draft out and write out these questions. And then part of it's just practicing. So one of the great lessons is use the mute button on your phone. Ask a really good question, press mute, and then you're done. Let them talk. And this kind of goes back to the phone skills too. It's really, really easy to talk over people because you can't see them processing information when you're on the phone. So that mute button becomes even more important, um, being deliberate with that. So I think anything you do here, when it talks about how do you build these skills, uh, a lot of them, you can get really tactical with it too, as far as drafting things out, uh, looking to it. Some of it is... Some of it's the hard stuff. Some of it's being able to be really critical with yourself. And that goes back to not blaming yourself. Uh, You you know, I think there have been times certainly in my life where I blame myself for things that aren't my fault. And it's made it really hard for me 
to not take feedback. Now you still have to own your life and have ownership of it, but because you do something wrong, doesn't make you a bad person. Right. And I think once you can make that split, everything else really opens up for you. Right. I think, I think everything boils down to, you know, uh, motivation and curiosity. So speaking of motivation, uh, how do you motivate your team if you find that, you know, they don't have the passion or uh, they just lack motivation? Like, how do you identify that and how do you motivate them? So a lot of motivation is trying to ask people what motivates them. It's trying to see how they behave, what they do. Uh, you know, some people say that they're motivated by money because right. money in sales is an easy one. We're all motivated by money, right? Right. But is it the number one motivating factor? And a lot of times it's not. So people will say, oh, it is money, but it's not. Um, underneath money sometimes can be, you know, a feeling of belonging. Yeah. You know, and these are, you know, when you think about the main motivating factors, right? It's this feeling of belonging, it's money, it's power. Like we said before, it's sex, it's all these things. These are biological needs that motivate us. And yeah. sometimes we forget, like, we're just, we're simple creatures. We want comfort and, and that's it at the end of the day. So I think number one, asking those questions, but you can't always be so cut and dry, like what motivates you? So part of it is just learning about your team. Yeah, right. Uh, learning what they do. So I, I have one team member and his, uh, he really cares about equality. And I don't mean like racial equality or, or anything like that. Like all of that's true. And he does care about that, by the way. Like, I don't want him to come off the wrong way. He does care about all that stuff. But he means like he wants everyone to have a fair shot. He wants everything with the team to be fair and well and good. He wants everything to be fair and well to our clients. He is very altruistic. So what motivates him, and he's very money motivated too. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever encountered in my life. But for him, the money is just part of it. It's, am I doing something and bringing something to people that will add benefit to them? And that's his real motivation. Right. So he didn't tell me that though. He's not like, oh yeah, I want to help people get better. No, it's, you have to take the time and invest the time to learn about your team. Yeah, you can ask them. And I have asked people straightforward and I, I will continue to do that. But just understanding that you might not always get that. Um, and it takes some time to understand people because not everybody is forthright. Most people probably aren't. Um, and there's always, always something hidden under the surface. So I, I think for me, that would be uh, the big one. Just taking the time to, to get to know people and trying to. Got it. Got it. Uh, and, you know, how do you prepare yourself for uh, different selling activities, like from prospecting, uh, negotiation, uh, to closing? Like, could you take us through uh, that by, you know, quoting some examples? So for me, it's all about doing everything with intent. Okay. So every action should have a purpose. Every action should have a reason for being done. So... Uh, that's kind of my line that I, that I remind myself. That's the line that I tell my team. It's the line that I've t told other people is do everything with intent. So when we're prospecting, what is the goal of prospecting, right? It's to have a conversation that leads to another conversation. I mean, ultimately, when you talk about sales metrics, it's going to be, yeah, it's about developing pipeline and building the front, but really at its core, right? Let's break it down. We need to have a conversation that then drives to another conversation. So how do we do that? The intent, I'm going to go into a call. 
Well, I'm going to research that person. Sometimes it's quick. Uh, there's a three by three method out there. Uh, many people have talked about it. Do three minutes of research that can find three things you can reference in the call. Okay. That research can be done from a website. It can be done online sometimes. And again, this goes back to what are you selling? So there's persona based research where if you're going to go out, uh, do outreach, you can do research based on an individual persona. How does this person buy and what are they like at scale? Now, a lot of times these are going to be highly transactional sales where you can do that because you know, uh, your value prop and what you're talking about has a really high likelihood of resonating with a large group of people. Okay. So I was saying earlier, uh, with childcare CRM. One of the things that we talk about is that our center directors and owners that we deal with on our SMB level, they are, and it's an issue with the entire industry, center directors are overworked. They've got so much that goes on every day. And now with staff being lessened at, at centers, it's okay, well, we're the cooks, we're the admins, we're finance, we're compliance, we're doing check-ins, we're doing checkouts, we've got temperatures to take. Well, all of a sudden we've got to clean it. We're janitors now too for this place. And then at the end of the day, you know, they've got all these things and so much more. How in the world are they supposed to now reach out and communicate to parents, drive enrollment, market their center? So we know that across the board, our center directors and owners are all feeling those same pain points. So we can do persona based. Now, as you get up into the mid-market segment, as you get up into enterprise, it becomes, I want to know more about your business because there's news on these businesses. So what issues are the business facing? You know, can I go onto someone's website, which is something I did this morning, do some research and notice there's a typo on this website. And okay. not only is there a typo on this website, but it's across the entire website. So these forms, even though they're for different places, are probably all funneling back into the same area. And they don't have a great presence there. So for me to be able to reach out to someone, I can do it very softly and say, hey, listen, I just wanted you to know that I found a typo on your website. And it's across all your places. So with this, is it filtering back to each individual directors? Is it a webmaster doing this? Do you guys have centralized enrollment? It allows me to ask some other questions, even within that outreach, where then I can go, hey, we help people not only manage these forms to avoid these issues, but also to go back and sit down and really think about how are we managing the leads and managing that flow. So it all builds on top of itself, but that's very specific research. Like that goes into it. And then if there's newsletters on your individual buyer, right? So again, the higher up you get, the larger the organization, generally the more information there is on it. So doing things with intent. So that's really two good examples of prospecting, right? Do your research, reach out. It can be persona-based on the enterprise level. It can be much more deeper. Uh, there are a lot. I mean, you could go to earnings calls to find out information on your prospects. Um, so that's number one. Number two for discovery. So one of the things that I like to do for discovery uh, is actually write out questions. Okay. So I actually like to go into the discovery call. What am I trying to uncover? And I'll go back to that prospecting call first. What information do I already know? So again, it's about building the foundation. It builds on itself. So what do I already know that I've gathered either in a prospecting call or from qualification? So pre-discovery. What information can I garner from their website? So now it kind of goes back to you're doing that research again. Now you're doing it a little bit deeper. And then what questions am I going to ask and what do I want the outcome of this call to be? So everything in sales, it's a bunch of little micro yeses and micro noes. Like, are we on this journey together? Is it happening, you know, cohesively between me and the buyer, between my team and the buyers? 
So understanding those questions and what I want the outcome for those questions to be. So for example, if I notice someone doesn't have any presence online or on their website, well, I'm going to ask them questions about why. And then what that's going to lead to for us is, well, you're probably missing out on parents reaching out to your center, which means that you're missing out on money. So I'm going to ask questions that uncover a pain or some thought that they might not know they have. Now on the flip side too, it's what do I want to illuminate in this call? So I'm going to jot out my questions for discovery on here's the questions that I want to ask that are open-ended, that are provoking, that are probing, that I know will get my buyers to think. One of the ones I always like to use too, a question that I have is I like to call out a scapegoat too. So what can I call out that will help them? Well, let's make time the enemy here. So it could be a question like, do you ever find yourself? And this would be like a follow-up question, right? You get in there and you start building specificity is, do you ever find yourself missing or delaying follow-up to parents for no other reason that there's not enough time in the day? Okay. Right. Whoa. That's a really direct question that I'm asking somebody, but you make something else the scapegoat. So you figure out the process, right? So you're going to ask these process questions. You know, what do you guys do to manage and track your leads? What's your follow-up process? And then you dig down and go into all this stuff and then illuminating questions, right? So it could be, you know, do you know that 54% of all online inquiries come from a contact us form, something that you guys are missing. So it's about digging into pain, illuminating new things. So that's discovery. And I'll plot a lot of this out ahead of time. Again, everything we're talking about here too today is when you get in these highly transactional sales, it's not going to be as much. And sometimes they're going to be, you know, recurring questions that you can ask that you can help standardize so that you can scale, right? Smaller, higher transactional, you need to be able to scale these activities. The larger one, it's going to take more research. That's why you get paid more. That's why the dollar amount's higher. And then moving into discovery. Again, it's I'm going to go back to, or moving into the demo, I'm going to go back to my discovery questions, okay. right? What did I uncover in that discovery call? And I'm actually going to map every single one of their pain points and where they want to go to a feature. And I'm going to tell a story. I'm actually going to map out a story for our demo. Right, right. Um, now, sometimes, again, when we talk about these, uh, the more SMB sales, there's going to be discovery and demo can sometimes be done in the same step. So if you're doing something in that regard, you really want to make sure, okay, I've got my talk track. I've got my flow. I know what I want to uncover here. And that's going to lead me into either X, Y, Z in my demo. So it's kind of almost like a flow chart where you do yes, no, I go this way, I go that way. Um, enterprise deals take more time, tell the story. And it's that same flow when you overcome objections. So what are the common objections? How do we overcome it? And then with those common objections, it's great if you can have a customer story. Okay. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Adopting technology. So again, I'll go back to, to my field childcare CRM. A lot of the, the SMBs that we sell into the ones in two locations, they use pen and paper. And so uh, adopting technology is an issue. When I was selling online payments back in 2012 at Paylease, it was brand new. A lot of people needed to adopt that technology. So what do we do? We have stories about how people have improved their enrollments. We have stories about how people improve their collections with online payments. We have these use cases, these testimonials, these user stories about, okay, well, here's an objection and here's how someone just like you. And it's important to make sure those stories fit the exact buyer profile. Because people want to know people like them, not somebody else. Um, and so that's how I go about really building out uh, my storyboard. 
Um, depending on, on the velocity, it can be a little bit more research versus more stock and scalable, but that's, uh, that's the general gist behind it all. Got it. And, uh, uh you spoke about, uh, objection. So for any salesperson, you know, rejection in sales calls will usually be frustrating, right? So I want to know how, how you handle a deal going wrong. Yeah. So I think the first thing I'll say is rejection can be tough, but maybe it's even worse in a sale. Yes or no. At least you have some type of output. Maybe is, is just the worst thing you can get. But when you do feel a deal going wrong, there's a couple things. And, and I'll go back to this idea of maybe, and it's a deal going dark. Okay. So this is one that every seller out there knows if you're new to sales, it's going to happen to you. I promise it will. Uh, but a deal going dark. So generally this happens after the demo phase yeah. where a deal will go dark. Um, sometimes it can happen after the discovery, but generally after the demo, a deal will go dark. Um, and you can feel it, right? You're supposed to have a scheduled follow-up task. Maybe you do and they cancel and they won't reschedule. Or maybe you haven't done a good enough job at setting the stage and now it's hard to get a hold of somebody. And you're sending out emails out to a blank wall or you constantly get the response back. And maybe they are communicative, um, but you get the response back, we're working on it. Or yeah, we're still really interested. So this is that maybe zone um, where you can really feel a deal going wrong. And I think this is a good call out because this is one that's really easily avoidable. And it's also one that, that again, everybody goes through. So just feeling when a deal is going wrong, I think not having somebody who's an equal partner in the buying process with you you got to find that out early. Um, and you also really need to understand things like their timeline. So how do you avoid this, this maybe, how do you avoid this deal getting stalled? How do you avoid this specific instance? I take everything back to the discovery. Did you do a good job setting the stage up front? Did you do a good job of talking to your buyers? And did you do a good job of understanding where they're at in their buying process and in their buying journey? So, Yes, you do your discovery. Yes, you do all the upfront. So let's just jump to the end of that call. You know, there are some questions in the discovery call. Generally, that's done with one person and there's more than one buyer. So questions I like to ask is who other than yourself is involved in the decision-making process here? Sometimes I'll position myself like an expert as well. And I'll say, you know, generally with our product, we have uh, directors and owners involved, or if it's a big process too, like back when I was selling online payments and utility billing at my last job, we had IT, we had operations, we had a uh, backend. So uh, AR and AP involved. And so I would go out to tell people, uh, you know, generally what we see uh, when we have people who are, you know, evaluating our service is that the operations and IT and the CFO and actually um, really even some of the, the high-ranking property managers will be involved in the decision-making skills or uh, decision-making. Is that the same for you? Okay. So I then leverage myself as an expert and ask them if it's the same for them. It always is. They're like, oh, yeah. So now what you do is early on in the process, you get more people involved. So you're understanding who's involved in the decision-making process. You're understanding who needs to be in all the meetings. Now you're getting names to evaluate that. Okay. So it's not the he said, she said game where you're talking to one person who's relaying information and probably doing it inaccurately mm -hmm. for no other fault. And they're not an expert. You are. 
The other thing is setting timeline expectations. Okay. So what's your guys' timeline for making a decision? Where does this rank on your list of priorities? Understanding where that falls. A lot of times after the demo too, I'll ask people what their buying process is. You know, hey, listen, now that we've gone through this demo, I want to know, are you guys evaluating other competitors? What is your buying process? You know, what do you guys need to do internally? I like to put together mutual action plans. Okay, here's what we have next. I'm going to do this for you. You're going to do this for me. And it's all due by this date. Everything, by the way, that I'm saying right now, recap email afterwards and use that. So those are just a couple of tricks that I've used to help you know, avoid this going dark, like a deal just going into nowhere. Um, and it's all about scheduled next steps and making sure that everyone in the buying process is actually involved. There's way more than that um, as well, but those are some easy ones that you can do right away that, that will help cut down on that. Okay. So uh, you spoke about, you know, avoiding rejections in sales. Uh, let's say a deal is in the maybe stage, as you said, uh, so what do you do to, you know, bring them back? Uh, what kind, where do you reach out? How do you reach out? Uh, what do you do to, you know, bring them back? So for me, if someone's in a maybe phase for long enough, it gets to the point where now it's, I just need a yes or a no. Like we need to set something up. So I always go back to discovery. What did they tell me their pain points were? What did they tell me their timeline was if I got it? Um, what did they tell me the, the state that they want to be in? What are they hoping to accomplish? What are their goals? So I'm going to go back to all the good information I uncovered in discovery and I'm going to call them and lay it out to them. If I can't get them on the phone, I'll email them too. But I always try to start with a call and I'll just lay it out for them. Hey, you know, this is what you told me. Your words. These are not my words as a seller. These are your words that you said, this was what was happening. Yeah. And this is what you told me the impact was. And I'll put it on myself sometimes too. If I really feel like someone's really guarded, I'll say, and maybe I didn't do a good enough job of understanding your business. A lot of times I actually don't like to take the blame for it. A lot of times I like to let them know like, Hey, I've been doing this job for you. So this is kind of where it goes back to feeling out your buyers. Um, but I'll actually tell people, Hey, um, you said this, these were your words. What's changed. Okay or has something changed um, is a little softer way to do it. So has something changed for you guys that's pushed this further down the priority list? You could also just ask, and sometimes too, I will just send an email that says still interested. I'll lay out all the pain points and I'll be like, you know, that they've told me again in an email, if I can't get them on the phone, I'll be like, are you still interested in this? Um, but I think that's, that's really it. And at some point, if they're non-responsive, move it to close loss, cut your bait and get out. Understand that when you do your deal review, you as the seller made an issue. Like you as the seller made a mistake there. You didn't understand who the buyers were. You didn't get everyone involved. You didn't uncover the pain at the front end. Like we as sellers, there's always going to be the one-offs, but we have to own every single deal that we lose. Because sometimes, yes, we're going to lose on price. Sometimes, yes, people are going to have scenarios in their life where uh, they're pregnant or somebody passed away in their family. I've had this all happen. But again, if that happens and you only have one point of contact, did you really do your job up front of understanding all the buyers? I'm saying you didn't. Right. So again, even in these extraneous circumstances, uh, with the exception of a competitor literally coming in and undercutting you by so much that no one can turn away. And even if that happens, 
break from them gent like gently be nice because they're going to come back to you um in the long run so that for me is how i re-engage it but it's listen, you have to own these scenarios as a seller because you didn't take enough time at the beginning of the process to understand the full map of this business are there any best practices you know to mitigate uh, uh, risk in a deal so to mitigate risk in a deal shorten your follow-up windows so I think anytime you're talking to someone, when you're scheduling that next activity, do it as quickly as possible. Uh, they say time kills all deals, and it's very true. If someone has a need today, we can talk about what happens. The world is an ever-changing place, and we can't predict every extraneous factor that's going to happen out there, right? COVID, who would have known? Here it is upon us. It's changed the buying landscape. So speed kills all deals. Time kills all deals. Make your follow-up windows as quick as you possibly can. Make sure that you're asking and doing your due diligence as a seller to get all the information you need. Make sure that you're identifying the buyer map. Make sure you know who's involved in the situation. Make sure you're taking your time to uncover the pain points. Um, really lean into your methodology. And if you're an individual contributor, by the way, all the stuff I'm talking about, talk to your manager about this stuff too. Like they should be able to help you along this path. They should be able to help you do these deal reviews. Like you shouldn't be on this journey alone. These are conversations you should have, um, but it's really just about, in my mind, I think you don't need to overcomplicate this, but go through every part of the process diligently. That doesn't mean go through it slow. It means make sure you're at the very onset of everything you're selling into your ideal customer profile. Like we don't want to stray from somebody just because they're interested, like sell to the people you know are your buyers understand who's in the buying process, understand their pain points, understand why they're reaching out to you or why you reached out to them. Know your buyers, really immerse yourself in your buyers. So when I said, yeah, there can be persona-based buying, immerse yourself in that, know that. If it's a big enterprise deal, know each one of your buyers individually. You know, these are $500,000 deals. You better know everybody individually <laughs> or more. You know, there's some enterprise out there, million, $5 million, billion dollar deals, right? Um, so know these people. Take the time to do the work as a seller. You did the discovery. Now map it to the demo. Tell the story. Make them the hero. Have them own this process. So it's understanding what you need to do within every single step. Those that I just listed out are some of them. It's not all inclusive. Okay. And make sure that you're not moving on without that. And then those follow-up emails, right? Set the date. Send the follow-up email. And if... The other party, if the buyers have something to do, hold your buyers accountable. Like if you hop on that meeting and they didn't do what they needed to do, first understand why. But if you can't have that meeting without them getting it done, let them know. Be like, hey guys, because this yeah. isn't here, we can't effectively have this meeting. And here's why. So is it possible for you guys to get this stuff done by the end of the day today? And we can either reschedule for this afternoon or we can reschedule for tomorrow. Um, now that's not to say make them feel bad, but this will help you gauge, are they really on this journey with you? Got it, got it. I, I think that's a wrap. So uh, tell me like, who do you look up to in sales or uh, who do you follow in sales? So who do I follow? So, you know, Scott Lease and Kevin Dorsey are some of the best tactical follows out there. They're really big names. Um, you've got Josh Braun is amazing for prospecting. Uh, 
Amy Volus is, is a hiring pro. Uh, so about the scorecard and hiring, she, she's been a, a great help reading her stuff. But there's so many people out there, too. Uh, I, I could list off so many names, and off the top of my head, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Matthew Toth and Andy DeAngelis. These guys know CX as sellers. They know what hiring is. They know about compassion and they can tell you um, and will post all the time on LinkedIn about great stuff. Uh, Rob Levy is a RevOps guy and he has some of the most thought provoking and insightful posts I've read. Uh, if you follow him, there's going to be a lot out there. Um, and, and listen, it's, I could rattle off so many names. I need a list. I wasn't even prepared, but for anybody who listens to this, if you want people to follow, send me a DM on LinkedIn and I will give you an exhaustive list of every single person out there that I can think of that would really help. Got it. So let's say, uh, you have an opportunity to have a coffee with, you know, uh, just one person that you mentioned, uh, from, from, from your list. Who will that be? Honestly, if I was to go sit down and have a cup of coffee with one person that I could think about, I think that I would go do it with some like mega personality, like a Simon Sinek. You know, I follow him. He's not like in my day to day in sales or anything like that, but I think it'd be someone who really understands, uh, how to motivate people, how to get to the why behind people, how to understand how people think and, and being that transformational. He's on there um, is a great one. And it's, it's hard. There are so many others. And I know as soon as this is done, I'm going to think of about a hundred other people. Um, but, but I always kind of go back to, to that aspect of it. What, uh, what makes people tick and how can you better understand that? Good choice, Mike. Uh, okay. So let's wrap it up with just one last question that I have. Um, what is that one advice that you want to give it away to our listeners? If there is one piece of advice that I could give out, I think it's just a saying that, that I've gone by my old high school football coach used to say it is get better, get worse. Every day you have the opportunity to do one, but you can't stay the same. So understand that go out there. There's all uh, all sorts of things that you can do. There's a lot of free resources out there and it might not necessarily be in your job. It might be in your personal life. It might be in work. It might just be taking some time to recharge, but every single day, get better or get worse. Nice. Uh, all right. So before we end the conversation, Mike, tell us where can people follow you? So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, Mike Hook is there. I also have a weekly newsletter that comes out. Uh, so you can go and subscribe to that at mike-hook.com. And other than that, uh, I'm limited. I'm not a whole lot of places. Okay. So um, I've left all the links that Mike mentioned in the podcast description. Please do check it out. Um, I absolutely love all the content that you share on LinkedIn. Uh, your views are really thoughtful and, you know, uh, unique. Uh, so thank you, Mike. That was super insightful. Uh, I actually got a ton of insights on how to become a better salesperson. Uh, and you should have given us a lot to think about. And I'm looking forward to learning more from you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thank you. See you again. Bye. Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episode with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. 
Also, please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.